0: Please do turn in a copy of God's Word to Ephesians, Ephesians chapter one. I believe you can find that in the pew Bible, that black pew Bible in front of you, on page nine hundred and seventy-six. You'll definitely uh, want it open as we reflect together on just a few verses here. I uh, want to begin this morning as you're turning there just with some questions to reflect. Uh, what what meets you in the morning? Typical morning, uh, what meets you in the morning. If you, uh, if you own some small children, uh, a toddler might be what greets you and meets you in the morning right there in your face, kind of amped up, a little you know, a little bit needy, uh, a little more awake than we are. Uh, if you're like me, you might have a Boston Terrier that meets you in the morning with some bad breath. Uh, I, I don't know, maybe, maybe you have a different type of dog that doesn't have bad breath. It's a typical Monday morning, right? Not, not, not tomorrow. Some of you are running the Boston Marathon, so that's not a typical morning. Uh, it's just a it's just a standard day. What what is it that is in front of you? What what kind of captures your sight? Is it a job that is overwhelming because of pressures from an unappreciative supervisor? Uh, what what greets you? What meets you? What is what is filling up your vision for the day and for the week ahead? Is it a marriage that has soured and you don't exactly know how to fix it? Is it financial pressures? That leave you anxious. Uh, maybe it's children that have needs and, and have concerns and have uh, well, more than you really feel as though you have to offer them the strength. Maybe it's something else. Maybe students, young people. maybe it's, it's another day where my parents don't seem to understand me. This past week, I was reading in the Atlantic the story of a woman named Lucy. Lucy lives in California, and the writer of the article was describing. She, uh, Lucy ended up with coronavirus. She brought it home, unbeknownst to her, to her husband David, to her sister-in-law Yolanda, to her mother-in-law Balvina. And though Lucy only had what was a really bad uh, flu, her husband David fared far worse. Lucy uh, took her husband to the hospital at the end of March and then he died on April 3rd. She had to say goodbye to him over Skype. Some of you know stories like this. It gets worse, unfortunately. After he died, then her sister-in-law, Yolanda, fell ill too. And after two months, she died. And then the mother-in-law, who was also there living with them, Balvina, she recovered from her bout with COVID, but distraught after losing her two children, she herself died. Lucy was alone. In her home for the first time in 23 years. And because the hospital never returned her husband's belongings, she didn't even have his wedding ring. Lucy describes her grief as something that is still there. She writes, it changes, it morphs into something different, but it is ongoing. And I would venture to guess that there are many stories like this today in places like Ukraine. Stories of grief and loss, that's what looms large. In their vision. That's what fills their eyes. What fills your eyes? What's in your vision when you awake in the morning? Thanks be to God that we are not alone. Thank you, God, that you have given us people and promises. That God has given us even himself. And I want to encourage you today that you can have hope. Regardless, maybe you don't even feel as though you need it. Maybe you feel altogether sufficient. I pray that someday you will encounter that. And you will hunger ...for a sense of hope. Perhaps you're not at all open to being persuaded... ...that there is a genuine hope that would not disappoint. Either way, I just ask you to kind of hang on... ...and uh, bear with me. Maybe you will find yourself open to being persuaded... ...or maybe you will see how it intersects... ...and meets up with real life. St. Paul is inhabiting the suffering of prison right now. And he's writing this a letter. It's a rich, full letter to a group of Christians in Ephesus... And inspired of God, it's also for our benefit as well. We as followers of Christ, and maybe that's not you yet today. We're glad you're here. But he's, he's, he's extending and speaking of a great hope. He's writing to Christians. This is part of a prayer. He opens up with great praise, and then he goes over into this prayer. And what I'm about to read, although it has uh, English grammar, in the original language, it was just one big run-on sentence. And he's just, if you'll, you know, if you'll really think and consider what he's trying to convey and communicate, it's almost as if Paul, in writing this, is like stretching the limits of language for us to understand the concepts that he wants us to encounter and embrace. So I know you just sat down. Let me invite you, uh, though, to stand as we give our attention to God's word. Ephesians 1, we begin in verse 15. Hear this, this is God's word. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. Having the eyes of your heart enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which you were called, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and the saints. And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the work of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and all authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. This is his word. Thanks be to him. You may be seated. I'm going to ask for God's help. So uh, if you wouldn't mind bowing in prayer. Uh, Lord, we've already spent some time speaking uh, to you in our confession and in our praise, in our prayer. But right now we want to hear from you. No, we, we really want to listen for your voice. That we might even take that to our heart and to our head and to our hands. For the sake of Christ, we pray. Amen. Things uh, let us down. Many of you know I'm, I tend to state the obvious. Just bear with me. Uh, things let us down. Technology let, lets us down. Uh, yeah, hard to believe it, it can let you down. Even vacations, for crying out loud, can let us down. Right? I know we're on the, the, the verge of spring break here. But so do people. Right? I'm not just talking about politicians. That was easy. <laughs> Perhaps your children have disappointed you or even brought you shame. Perhaps your family has let you down or maybe there's some other romantic relationship that you had or you wanted. Perhaps your health, your own physical frame and your body lets you down. So where, I ask you, can you find hope that is sure, that is grounded, that is substantial, that's not something that is... That is just merely sentimental, but where would you find, where would I find a hope? And not on the other extreme either, which would be a cynicism in the face of some of those disappointments and struggles. Where would we find hope? You know, sometimes to find hope is a hard thing. It's one of the reasons that back many months ago, I had us look together at the psalmist who, inspired of God, talks about this. He talks to himself. Why are you downcast, O oh, my soul? Psalm 42. Hope in God. Trusting in God. It's something that we're clearly called to. In the passage I just read in verse 18, that's part of our calling. Our calling, our responsibility is to, as people of faith, to trust in God. It hinges, though, on something. It hinges on something, and that is the resurrection of the Son of God. And the resurrection is not a suspension. I don't want to get too deep into science here but it's not a suspension of the laws of nature. It's a reversal, right? It's a restoration that God would bring when all we know at the end of life is death, not so with our Lord, not so with us, a future hope. Pastor Tim Keller last year wrote a book called Hope in Times of Fear. Now that's entirely appropriate for an obvious reason, but even more so for him, That is in the face of the diagnosis of pancreatic cancer. And this is what he writes. He says, The resurrection means that we do not follow the teachings of a dead leader. Christ is not a deceased writer we only know through his books. Rather, we have a vital, loving relationship with a living Lord. Jesus Christ, the King, is present with us. He is alive and he is calling to us. And we cannot get hope, God's hope, for times of fear, without personally meeting, he writes with the risen Lord, do you know him? Three questions I, I have listed there in the order of service that we 'll just briefly touch upon to try to unpack some of this this prayer that 's all this this is a prayer that Paul, inspired of God, has written. Here are the questions there: why, who, and what? Why is it that we need hope? What is the source of that hope, and then last. What kind of hope are we talking about? Why do we need hope? I don't think I need to spend too much time on this point. <laughs> I mean, I've probably already made a bit of a case for it. I mean, it's, it, in times it's obvious. The list of reasons that we need hope, reasons, plural, is quite, quite long. And some of them are, are unique to you and your own story and struggle. The reasons that we need hope are so long that it's, it's safe to say, it's, it's entirely clear to say, any of you would probably agree, That we don't live. We we cannot function as humans. Without some form of hope. Paul hints at part of the reason. That he wants followers of Christ. To experience hope. He clearly clearly points to it. To a a true hope that he would want us to encounter. If you look again at verse 18. Because this is what he prays. He expresses the prayer of his heart. Is that they would have the eyes of their hearts. Enlightened. So. So. There's plenty in the world, and there's, even, there's plenty of noise even within us that speaks of a dimness and a darkness out there and in here. The world is not the way it is supposed to be. Even on the best of days, the best of times, the best of scenarios, the world is not the way it's supposed to be. Why, Why is that? Well, it's because we've rejected God's authority. We've resisted God's love. We've rebelled against God's law. And now we live of our own making in a world that is broken and cursed and fallen. We know that there is. Why is that, by the way? Is it a lack of love? Is it a lack of education? Is it a lack of health care? Is it a lack of. Civility? Is it a lack of financial stability? No, because you can have all of those things and still have darkness and death because of our sin. Elsewhere, Paul, the apostle, writes in Romans, he describes it as the wages of sin. The wages of sin, which all of us have, is death. And that's a separation that... We no longer naturally have peace with God. We no longer naturally have peace with one another. People made in God's image. So there's a vertical problem. There's a horizontal problem. Even if we don't feel the sting of death. Young people, I'm speaking to you. Even if you don't yet feel the sting of death. Yet. There is plenty of discord and disunity. And even if you don't feel that either. Even if you haven't. You know, encountered this. I I know that for all of us, there are things of the creation. There, there is materialism even that can obscure our vision of the living God. That can obscure our ability, with the eyes of our heart, to see the hope that is the glory of God. There's shallow and vain, even dark things that the the great deceiver would bring into our life that would inhibit. That would cloud our vision. And there's a reason that in the book of Acts, we, we see where the risen Christ goes. And he, he confronts Saul, who he converts into the apostle Paul, who's now writing this to us. But it's there that in Acts 26, he writes commissioning Paul to go and preach to open, quote, Acts 26:18 to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light. And from the power of Satan to God, that we may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me, Christ says to Paul. The the most important vision system of humans is is not optical. It's not it's not optical. It's not our eyes. The most important vision system of humans is the eyes of our heart. The core of our being that governs our motivations and affections and decisions and priorities. That's why Paul says in verse 18 that he wants the eyes of their heart to be open. What fills our eyes, what fills the eyes of our heart determines and shapes the way that we live. I've been a pastor for close to 20 years. And in the course of that, it's... It's obvious probably uh, that people have come to me and shared and expressed their burdens. The burdens in their life, the burdens of the things that have burdened their conscience. Sometimes people, things that have burdened their hearts. And sometimes people just need someone to listen. There are times that I find myself at the close of listening that I say, it sounds like you need help. It sounds like you need Supernatural help and hope. Now, I don't mean that as a, a critical commentary on your problem. I just mean that as an observation about the inability of all of humanity, every last one of us. Here's, this is leading into my second question, which is, well, who then is the source of this hope? Paul is commending them in verse 15 for their faith and their love. The faith that they experience, the faith that they exercise, is something that could be rather small. It could be, a, it could be a faith that is very weak. But it's really the object of their faith that matters the most. The object of their faith is the same thing as their so, their source of hope. And that is the triune God. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. All, all, all of which are mentioned here in this prayer that Paul has for Believers In verse 17, Paul speaks of the the generosity of our Heavenly Father. The Father of glory, he is referred to. The Father gives the spirit of wisdom and revelation, he says here. That would be a a capital S spirit, meaning the Holy Spirit. And we know that because the context helps us. The context uh, elsewhere is not just the, the spirit, small s, but Holy Spirit. Because even in verse 13... In verse 13, the Spirit, uh, Holy Spirit, is the one who is given to us as an inheritance, a guarantee. In verse 13, the Spirit of God, He, not it, He can give us knowledge of God. That, that knowledge that we need that is obscured, that, that our vision being obscured by sin. But then He speaks of God the Son, Jesus the Christ, who is raised with power by God the Father, and then he said, well, wait, wait, why is Jesus dying? Right? I mean, of all people, why wouldn't you skip out on Jesus, the pain of, of death and, and suffering? Sure, he could, but he did not. He chose to taste death for us. He chose, Christ chose suffering for us. He absorbed the penalty, the wages of our sin. Of all the sins of those who would repent and turn from sin and trust him by faith. That could be you today. Repentance and faith is an ongoing thing. Repent, turning from trusting ourselves to the sin and the vain and the shallow things and trust him in his resurrection power by faith. Friends, I, we cannot overcome. It doesn't matter how much you've infused your life with some form of hope that is out there. You cannot overcome death and evil. None of us can overcome death or evil, but Christ has. Christ has. Praise be to God. Each Easter, I love to to kind of contemplate this, right? That Christ, the person and work of Jesus, that he lived a perfect life. Even with all of the, the pressure and all of the rejection and all of the humiliation, he enters our world, he suffers, he lives a perfect life of obedience in our place. And then he he is, is hanging on the cross. And even at that moment, experiencing compassion and clarity of vision, he doesn't look out and say, All of these worthless scoundrels, these, you know, no good, I can't wait to smite them. He looks out and he says, Father, forgive them. Father, forgive them. And then he concludes with what? It is finished. My work is done. And it would be enough. And it's a beautiful thing, but it's even more beautiful that his last words, his last sermon to us is, it is finished in his earthly ministry. And then God the Father comes and says the loudest amen that you could possibly imagine. And that amen is the resurrection. It's the vindication of the work of Christ his Son on the cross in life. And friends, that power is, that power is ours. That's what he's saying in verse 19. The immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to his his working of his great might that he worked in raising Christ from the dead. But if you want to talk about an endorsement, if you want to talk about Uh, the, the, the vindication of the son of God, the son of man, look at what he says about Jesus. What does he say? He lifted, he raised him up, but then he goes on, he says, so far, verse 21, above all rule and authority, all power and dominion, above every name that has ever been named, this age and the age to come, and he has put all things under his feet, and he has given him head over all things to the church, which is the body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. I wish I had time. We'd be here for like Tuesday, so we won't do that. I know you guys have stuff in the oven. But we can, we can spend a lot of time unpacking and considering all the beautiful, incredible angles and aspects and truths about what He has just said about Jesus that can't be said about anyone else. What is he saying? Christ the King, Christ is the Sovereign Lord. That source of hope is ours because we have union with Christ. If you read the rest of the book of Ephesians prior and after this, all you see again and again is this phrase, in Him, in Him, in Him, in Christ, in Christ, in Him, in Him. The things that we enjoy and the benefits that are ours because by faith we can be united to Christ. We have riches and power and hope. And yet so often the problem is that our vision, again, coming back to that, is obscured and filled with dark things. Shallow things, our unbelief. It's filled with anxieties as if we could control anything or anyone It's filled with the what-ifs. It's filled with preoccupations. Paul is saying, Christ is so the sovereign Lord that there is no situation, there is no station, there is no struggle, there is no place, there is no, no circumstance or stage of life, there's no relationship that you're in that he is not the sovereign ruler over. Believing in the sovereign rule of God in Christ doesn't make life magically easy. Doesn't make everything okay, doesn't make everything better suddenly. We don't embrace it to make sense of life. We embrace the sovereign rule of Jesus who came and lived and died, was raised, ascended, and is coming again to judge the world in righteousness because he's the sovereign king. And that is precisely because life doesn't make sense and we are not in control. We can and we will have hope, we will have power. That is something present and future that Paul is praying for here because of God our Father and his commitment to his daughters and his sons. Even if, not if, but when affliction and suffering and trials and those disappointments come, They can shape us, even change us, not because God doesn't love us, but because he loves us so much that he doesn't want us to remain the same. But how? Well, it's by faith. God opening the eyes of our heart to see. And that kind of leads into this last question, which is what kind of hope are we talking about? Which really would have been a good question to ask at the very, very beginning. It kind of it occurred to me after I'd already laid this out. I should have started with what is the kind of hope I'm talking about here? Because people mean different things. Right? When people talk about hope, you'll talk, you meet people all over the place. It doesn't matter. They'll talk about hope. In Scripture, though, hope is commended to us as a verb and a noun. In our modern culture, in our, in our own language, in our own speak, we think of hope often as a desire or a thing, right? We desire, we sure hope that the, the Red Sox win this afternoon. Oh, and then, and then we talk about it as if it were a thing. We, our hope, is, our hope is, is pretty sound because of the, the finances that we have in our savings. It's kind of soft. I, I mean, it's, it's, it's sentimental. It's, I mean, it's natural. I'm not trying to, I, I, I get it. But ordinarily, when humans talk about hope, we're talking about a sentiment expressing a measure of uncertainty. Well, you know, we're hoping the best. But this is what is distinctive about Christianity. And the nature of biblical hope for those who believe is different. Pastor Rico Tice puts it really well. I can't improve upon it. He says, Christian hope This is how he kind of wraps it up and defines it. Christian hope is a joyful expectation for the future based on true events in the past, which changes everything about my present. Let me read it again. Christianity, within Christianity, Christian hope is a joyful expectation for the future based on true events in the past, which changes everything about my present. There's a moral certainty About that. It's not it's not that's not statistical, it's not financial, it's not mathematical. It can be logical, but not purely. I love elsewhere the Apostle Paul in Romans 5, this is how he talks about hope in the biblical sense for Christians. Through Christ we have obtained access by faith into the grace in which we now stand, and we rejoice in the hope of of the glory of God. Not only that, Paul writes, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that sufferings produce endurance, endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, whom He has given to us. The triune God is the source of hope. And and our... In our moments of despair, and there are seasons when it comes all crashing in and down, and that's when what we hope in is exposed. The object of our faith and the source of our hope gets revealed. And he's saying, if you endure, not if, when you endure suffering, and that is exposed, it may shape your character. It may, it may lead you into the presence of of God, you will not be put to shame. This is a kind of hope that does not disappoint. We've all heard stories of people who've been have been exposed; their hopes were exposed. People who believed in a Ponzi scheme and they poured all their life savings into something, and it's kind of it's not only disappointing; it's altogether humiliating, devastating. Not so with God. How? How will we experience this kind of hope? Well, there's an explanation because if you belong to God, you have this seal. That Christ being raised from the dead, we, we, we hear it referred to elsewhere. We said it in the, in the call to worship at the beginning that he is the firstfruits, the down payment, the secure, the seal of this resurrection hope that is ours. What type of hope? What kind of hope do we have? We have a living hope. We have a powerful hope that is a sure thing. It's tied to the person and work of Jesus. We're called to this hope, which means that we're called away from something. We're called to something, but we're also called away from something, which is trusting ourselves. God, help us. Please be merciful to us. I know sometimes I, I, I buckle down. I hunker down and try to gain control. I try to... To shape the uneasy and undesirable circumstances of my life. And you do too. Because that's where. Oh if I could just get this sewn up. Tidied up. Paid off. Dealt with. Ironed out. Fixed. Then then it breaks again. If I can just control and reshape my circumstances to be easy. So I don't need to. Hope or muster enough strength. I have enough strength in myself. No, I don't. That's why that's why we we cry out in earnest and open-handed, have mercy. The great Swiss French reformer John Calvin puts it this way: We should ask God to increase our hope when it is small, awaken our hope when it is dormant, confirm it when it's wavering, strengthen it when it is weak, and raise it up when it is over friends today is the Lord's day it's resurrection day and tomorrow is, is Monday what is going to fill your vision I want us to be in a distinctive way not for any praise or attention ourselves but for the praise of God people of hope where, where, where are the eyes of your heart fixed today? We're familiar with the, the phrase in 1 Corinthians 13 faith, hope, love. Faith, hope. Some of you have it like in your house, you know, like a little plaque or whatever. 1 Corinthians 13, Paul writes there, For we now see in a mirror dimly, here's our vision. But then we shall see him face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. So now faith, hope and love abide. These three, but the greatest of these is. Well, you'd think it was hope because that's what the whole sermon is supposed to be about. But (laughs) The greatest of these is love. And why is that? Because right now we see him in a mirror dimly, but then we shall see him face to face. We don't need faith. Then we don't need faith because we will trust him wholeheartedly. We will see him. We don't need eyes of faith. We will be in the presence of the Almighty in glory. And we don't need hope because all the longings that we could ever imagine have been sealed and fulfilled in the new heavens and the new earth. But Love. The love of God awaits. And here he is now, Christ, the resurrected Christ, our living and our loving Savior, with open arms. And this, this is not our home. We long for glory. We are not home yet, and we do not hope in the, the, the shifting. Shallow ways of the world. We know our future is secure. Christ is risen. He's risen indeed. Hallelujah. Let's pray. Father, would you please forgive us for loving this world and the things in it too much? It's left us, we know at times, chasing what's vain and shallow. And those things have disappointed us. We know there are many things, places, people that illustrate the deep need for hope and for faith. And we pray for your merciful healing touch. Lord, we pray for those who are in harm's way in Ukraine. Some of them are already displaced as refugees. Lord, I pray you'd bring peace. pray you'd bring a unique hope to those who grieve and mourn this day for any number and variety of reasons. <clears throat> people who maybe even find themselves lonely and depressed or in despair, overwhelmed with anxiety. Lord, I pray you would have mercy. I pray, God, we agree together that it would be beautiful for you to bring comfort and peace to people who are serving overseas, for people who are deployed and even for family members who miss them. Lord, we pray for those who are in prison. Have mercy. Lord, you know people that are strapped down with burdens that are too great for them to bear, and we ask that you would meet them, you administer to them with your angels, that you would, you would prompt us and use us, that you would even be...